God's word. Father, thank you again for loving us, touching our lives. We pray now that you speak to us in, in, in just wonderful ways in these few moments that we have uh, remaining today. For we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Finish strong. It's what I've called this sermon series, and uh, today we're, we're kind of right in the middle. Uh, we're talking about uh, under the influence, living under the influence, and we're in 2 Timothy chapter 3 today. How many of you uh, saw Billy Graham on the news at all, or saw anything about Billy Graham this past week? Um, he celebrated at what birthday? His 95th birthday this past week. He also preached... Um, and uh, he preached this, this one sermon on his 95th birthday. And by all accounts, uh, he says this, that was the last sermon he's ever going to preach. Of course, he's told us that was the last crusade he was going to do for like the last 20 years. And he keeps doing them anyway, 15, you know, and so we'll see. But he is, he is, he's published a new book uh, in, this, uh, in, in this last month. Uh, he has a major uh, thing happening this week, and so if you're, especially if you're involved, if you want to do a packing party uh, for Operation Christmas Child with some unsaved friends and neighbors, invite them in, help them, let them pack a box, and and then turn on uh, Billy Graham, and he's going to give them the message of salvation, and you can talk about how your life in Jesus Christ has changed who you are, and, and use it as an evangelistic outreach. This is his last, he says, his last big hurrah. And uh, his, his hope for America, and his hope for America is that you and I, as believers, will tell our neighbors about Jesus Christ and lead them to the Lord. And uh, wouldn't it be wonderful to finish strong like that? Um, you know, here's a guy who has tried to finish strong. Every young preacher boy coming out of Bible college or seminary, uh, for the most part in an evangelical seminary, wants to preach like Billy Graham. You know, there's that moment when you think, I could, I could preach like Billy Graham. It's just a short moment, but it's a, it's a moment anyway. I remember coming home, the, uh, the van pool I was riding with over to seminary from Union City up to Golden Gate Seminary in Mill Valley. Uh, there was a young guy that was uh, was on staff at his church there in in Hayward, and uh, and he said I I was he was preaching, and it was a church that had you know probably about a hundred people in it on Sunday morning, and he said I got to the invitation. That's the part at the end of the sermon where we ask you to make a decision for Jesus Christ. And he'd watched enough Billy Graham crusades that he got to that point, and and he started he heard himself saying to to a hundred or less people. And now, by the, by the hundreds, so you'll be coming down, and your relatives will wait for you, and your friends, and then he thought, wait a minute, there aren't hundreds here. And so he said, uh, 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 by, the, by, the, by the twos or threes, you'll be coming down, because, you know, we'll, we know your friends will wait for you. Uh, it doesn't take long to figure out that most of us aren't Billy Graham, but we can still finish strong, can't we? We need to finish strong. How many of you ever had a had a friend, a relative, maybe one of your kids, and uh, and they didn't actually end up where you wanted them to. I mean, maybe their their life got off track and got derailed. That happens, doesn't it? And if you were to talk to them, if you were to if you were to talk to somebody like that, they would probably have very similar stories. They would probably tell you as a parent, you know, we we, we prayed for them and we loved them and we we hoped that they would do the best and we. And we trusted God that they would. But 
almost without exception, the story will go something like, but they got in with the wrong crowd of people. They started hanging out with the wrong people. And it, and it led them into places where they shouldn't have been. And, and they paid sometimes a really heavy price for that. And, and we understand that. We, we know how that happens. And, and we understand that when we get under the influence of certain people, it can, tra- it can, it can turn our lives into a train wreck. And that's what Paul is warning Timothy about. This, this protege, this young pastor, who's going to have, who's going to have a, a huge part to play in the, in the life of this young church now. Um, he, says, he says, Timothy, if you're going to finish strong, then you're going to have to understand some things. Paul is writing from a dungeon in Rome to Timothy, who's over in Ephesus. And he's, and he's sharing these things, and Paul's chained in that, 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 that cell, and he knows that he's not getting out again. He's going to die in this, in this, in this prison. And, and he says, you know what, I'm okay with that. He says in chapter 4, uh, in 2 Timothy, verse 7, one of our memory verses for next week, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Paul, he says, Timothy, I... I don't have any regrets. I know where I've been and I know what I've done and I've fought well. I've, I've done what God has called me to do. And, and that's something that we would all like to say, I think. I think everybody in here would probably want us to be able to say the same thing. Um, that I did what I set out to do with my life. That I hung in there till the very end. That I glorified God in the choices and the ways that I went. And, 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 um, and we want to be able to say that, but it's not something that everybody will be able to say. Not every Christian necessarily will be able to say that. Uh, but we can if we prepare ourselves to go to the, go the distance. And so today what we're going to do is, is in that process of preparing ourselves, we're going to talk about some steps that we need to take. Three ways to guard yourself uh, so that you do go the difference. Some, some things that you can do today that will help you to do that. So today, three ways to guard against getting off track. How do you, how do you stay under the influence of Jesus Christ and not under wrong influences? The first way you do that is to avoid wrong people. You just have to avoid wrong people. And that, that kind of grates against us sometimes because we think, well, we gotta, we gotta be around people who aren't saved and, and we do, but you have to, you have to guard against hanging out with them to the point where you're under their influence. And so Paul would say, Timothy, and would say to us today, you've got to avoid wrong people in your life. He says this in verses three, uh, one through four, rather, uh, here in chapter three. He says, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, obedient, uh, disobedient, rather, to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. And we think, man, how did Paul know where we're going to live in 2013? Because that sounds a whole lot like the evening news, doesn't it? It sounds a lot like the people that live on our streets, doesn't it? It sounds a lot like the people that you go to work with. And, and those are, that's, who, that's who we are, and that's who people are who are unsaved. I mean, that's our old nature. 
And that's why Paul could write about it 2,000 years ago, as if it's contemporaries today, because they had the same old nature that we have today. And Paul said that, that that's what our old nature leads us to. And so he says, in the last days, these things are going to become more and more difficult. By last days, you know, we, we, we use that phrase, and a lot of times we think about last days means like the day before Jesus comes. But really, in Paul's, in Paul's understanding, and in biblical understanding, last days meant from the time Jesus Christ uh, rose from the dead and then ascended into heaven until the day that he comes again at his second coming. Those are the last days. At this point, that's a 2,000-year time frame. But in God's economy, those are the last days. And so when Paul writes about this, he's writing as if that second coming is very imminent, doesn't he? Because it could have been during his lifetime. We talk about it as if it's very imminent because it very well could be today that Jesus Christ comes. But we live in this time of darkness. We live in this time of of. of, of of in the church age, uh, a time when when the human race is 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 not headed toward Jesus Christ. People love themselves. They love money above everything else. They're proud. They're arrogant. They're conceited. Uh, they love pleasure pleasure more than uh, loving God. And I want to focus on just a couple of those phrases that Paul uses here today. I want you to underline, if you would, in your Bible or in your sermon notes, the uh, the words uh, disobedient to parents. Disobedient to parents. Why would Paul say that? Of all the things he could say, why would he why would he put that in there? That in the last days, people are and with all these other problems going on. Paul takes time to point out that they are disobedient to parents. Um, and, and he's not writing to his youth group, necessarily, is he? He's writing to adults. He's writing to you and I. Why would he tell you and I that we have to guard against people who would lead us to be disobedient to our parents? Why would he do that? I, I'm 60 years old. My father is, is, has been dead for quite a while, but my mom is still alive. In fact, in, in another two weeks, she turns, six, she turns 83. Uh, and I haven't lived at home in, in my parents' house for at least 40 years now. Been, been probably a little over 40 years, maybe 42 years, something like that, since I lived at home. Um, I left when I was a, going into my sophomore year of college in August before I started my sophomore year of college at Cal Baptist and never, never lived there again as, a, as an address where I, would, where I would live. But there is still a sense that I am still accountable to my mother. Even as a 60-year-old male and she lives 500 miles away, there's still some accountability that I have to her because she's my mom. Because that's the relationship that God gives to us with our parents. That means, uh, you know, of course, that she doesn't, she doesn't make my decisions for me. And I, but I do have to take into consideration my mother when I do make major decisions. One of those was to move up here, to, to live here in Stockton. Because I only lived 15 miles from her, less than 15 miles from her, for, for, for 19 years uh, before moving here. And so that was a consideration that Barb and I had to take into account, that, 
that uh, that my mother, who is who is a widow, uh, that that she and lives alone, uh, that I'd be moving from 15 miles to 500 miles away from her during that time, and and so we had to give some consideration to that, and and because she deserves that consideration. Uh, and I owe her that kind of debt, and I always will. You owe your parents, if they're still alive, doesn't matter how old you are, not to be disobedient to them. Not to abuse them in that sense. And Paul says there's a time come when, when people don't think that way, and, and they won't have that sense of obligation to the parents, and, and they're going to do whatever they want to do, regardless of the impact it's going to have on anyone else. And that's what Paul's really getting to. He says, you, you don't just have freedom to make all these decisions that you want to without any regard to anybody else's feelings and the impact that it has on their lives. And... Um, and so, you know, we have to be careful, even as, as grown-ups, one of our favorite games that we play, thank you, Dr. Phil and others, is to the blame game that everything that ever went wrong in our lives is our parents' fault, because they did it to us. And that's probably not anywhere close to being true. A lot of the problem we have is because we made choices. We decided to live under the influence of this world in a very dark age. And when we do that, we make choices that are not in accounting, are not in accordance with God's word, and it is disobedient to our parents, and it's and it, and it shows ungratefulness on our part. And that's what he talked about next. Notice that word ungrateful. He says they're ungrateful. Uh, underline that word, if you will. Paul's talking about the worst of the worst in human behavior right here. Uh, really, when you when you think about that. Um, you know, if you've ever had to deal with an ungrateful person on a regular basis, then you know exactly why he's ungrateful. Uh, there are people who are just ungrateful about every, anything and everything. And you wonder, how in the world could you get so many privileges and so much given to you and, and available to you and you're still ungrateful? And yet we see that all of the time. And Paul says our old nature will lead us to that. But then there's one I want to come back to. I saved it for the last of three I want to share with you um, because I think it's the worst of all of them. It's the word abusive. The word abusive. Um, Paul is talking about uh, this, this terrible thing that it's kind of where ungrateful behavior takes us. Um, it's, it's, it's this, it's, Abusiveness uh, comes from um, the word that the King James Version translates blasphemer. So if you're looking at King James, you're seeing you're not seeing abusive. You're seeing the word um, they're they're blasphemers, um, and uh, we usually associate that that word blasphemy uh, with with disrespect. But it's disrespect toward God. It is treating God with disrespect. However, the Greek term that that translates Blasphemy that we translate into English, uh, that Greek term has a broader application. Uh, it refers to those who love to, to, to make any kind of insult, those who love to speak abusively against anyone, whether it's directed toward God or toward a human being. So you kind of get the picture. Paul says these are abusive people, that they're going to be abusive to everybody. They're going to, be, they're going to, they're going to speak disrespectfully to God. But if they're going to talk disrespectfully to God and be abusive to God, then you can count on the fact that they're going to be abusive to you as well. 
They're going to be abusive to their to their spouse. They're going to be abusive to their kids. They're going to be abusive to their neighbors, to their to the people they work with. That's their nature. That's who they are. And and that really maybe is the worst kind of person of all. It's a person who just loves to hurt other people with their words, to belittle them and to berate them and to diminish and and to disrespect them. And so Paul says, those are the people. That's the kind of person you got to be careful of. Those are the people that you have to watch out for. He says in these last days, there are going to be people who uh, who have those negative traits. And in fact, there will all, there's always been those people and, and there always will be. Paul describes them uh, here in, in chapter 3, in verse 5, he says, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. So you got to be discerning. There are people who are going to who who may be sitting in a church pew with you. There are people who may go by the name Christian, but who deny the power of God. They deny the godliness of who God is, and they don't want anything to do with that. They may be religious. Uh, that's who Paul's talking about here. Uh, people who, on the surface, have this appearance of respectability, but underneath uh, is cold and is lifeless and is just dead. Uh, and listen to how Jesus described that kind of person. In the book of Matthew, in chapter 23, Jesus said, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people to be as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. And friends, when we we encounter that person or we encounter people like that, the question is, what do we do about it? What do we do when we understand this is who that person is that Paul was talking about? This is who that person is that Jesus was talking about. Paul has a very short, concise, simple solution in verse 5, he says, when you encounter that person, what? Have nothing to do with them. Avoid the wrong people. Have nothing to do with them. First Corinthians, Paul tells us why. First Corinthians 15, verse 33, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. That seems pretty simple, doesn't it? That's pretty easy to figure out. If I hang out with bad company, no matter what I think my character is going to be, it's going to be corrupted. Eventually, I will be like them. And if I don't want to be like them, if I want to be like Jesus, if I want to be holy, if I want to be righteous, if I want my light to shine, then I've got to choose to be with those kind of people and I've got to avoid the people who are going to put my light out. Bad company correct, corrupts good character. It's not a new thing that we have to understand. Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, said the same thing, essentially. In Proverbs 22, he said, Do not make friends with a hot-tempered man. Do not associate with one easily angered, or you may what? Learn his ways and get yourself ensnared. Bad company corrupts good character. And so, if you want to finish strong 
in life, then you've got to make those tough decisions and exclude certain people from your circle of influence. And you don't do it for like a week and say, well, it's like I'm going to put you in timeout and you're a bad person. So just, you know, stay away from me for a week and then we'll hang out together again. You just put them aside for good. You say, I, I'm not going to hang out with them. This is not going to be my best friend. There are toxic per- people in this world, and, and, and that's just an unfortunate truth, but that's what it is, and we need to learn how to avoid them. Um, and, and it isn't just friends and family and coworkers I'm talking about. I mean, there's a lot of stuff. There are TV shows that are toxic, and we ought to just put those aside and say, I don't need that channel. I don't want that in my TV. I'm not going to spend time watching that. Um, you know, there's movies. There's certain people that, um, that, you know, we, that we, you know, talk show and TV personalities and stuff that we just need to say, that's not who I want to be. And so I'm just going to avoid those people. So you don't let poisonous people influence you, and you keep as much distance between them and you as you possibly can. On the flip side, though, of of avoiding wrong people, secondly, if I'm going to make those decisions uh, that will guard against getting my life off track, then the second thing that I have to do is latch on to the right people. As much as I've got to avoid the wrong people, those toxic, poisonous people, I've got to latch on to the people that are right for me. Albert Schweitzer, you've heard his name before, you know. Uh, he's probably the ultimate Renaissance man. I mean, this is guy was a, was a remarkable guy. He was a musician. He was a theologian. Uh, he was a philosopher. He was a physician. He was a, a medical missionary to Africa. Uh, he also won the Nobel Peace Prize. Um, and he could have spent his life enjoying all of the luxuries of that those kinds of things would bring uh, and the affluence and the, and the comfort. But instead, he chose to spend much of his life serving uh, the, the poor in a, in a small village in Africa. And, um, and there were, you know, it, it's amazing. Here's a guy who, who turns his back on all of that affluence and serves the poorest of the poor, and there are people who criticize him. Yeah, it doesn't matter how righteous you are and how holy you are, people are going to criticize you. I seem to remember they did that to Jesus, too, along the way, didn't they? And and they criticized him. They they criticized his methodology or his theology or his motives. You know what his response was to them? He said, my life is my argument. That was it. He said, my life is my argument. And Paul is saying exactly the same thing to Timothy here because Paul was always being criticized for his methodology and his theology and for his choices and where he would serve and where he would live. And he said this in verses 10 and 11 in 2 Timothy 3. You, however, know about uh, all, excuse me, you, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, sufferings. What kind of things happened to me in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, the persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. Timothy, Paul said, you know me well. And my life is my argument. So if you want to know who I am, look at who I, what, how I live. Look at who I am. 
In other places, Paul told believers, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Um, Paul's saying, if you do the things the way I do them, God will be pleased. And that's a bold thing to say to anybody, isn't it? But that's who Paul was. He was able to say that. He had the courage to say that because his life was his argument. That's got to be our decision at some point. God, let my life be my argument. But the truth is, it's easier to follow the bad examples, isn't it? It's much easier to follow those who would lead us into that darkness that Paul talked about than it is to say, I'm going to surround myself with people who are going to build me up. And who are going to hold me accountable. And But if I want to go the distance, if I want to finish strong, then I've got to do that. I've got to, I've got to find those whose walk matches their talk and follow their example. I often find myself asking myself, do I want to be like this person? And it's not just, not just Hollywood personalities or athletes or politicians. I, I, I ask myself that, too, about, about people in, in the church. I ask myself about Christian leaders. I ask myself that about people like Billy Graham. Do I want to be like him? Or, or Luis Palau or others. You look at their lives and, and, and the impact they've had and you say, is this a person that I would want to be like? And, uh, you know, do I want to follow their example? And, um, and do I see this person, uh, in this person, the same qualities that I see in Jesus Christ? And, and when the answer is yes, then, then those are people that you need to latch on to the best of your ability. That you, that you, that you, you learn what you can for them and, and, and you kind of do your best to follow their example. And, and so when you find yourself in a difficult situation, and we all find ourselves in those from time to time, um, and you're not sure, uh, you know, the decision that you need to make, um, then, then you can think about some of the leaders that God has placed in your life, and you can say, how would they respond in this situation? Or if you know them well, you can call them up, or you can get with them and say, let me, let me pick your mind. How would, how would you go about dealing with the situation that I find myself in? And, and why would you do that? Because you've seen their lives. Their life is their, is their message. Their life is who they are. And so you know their life, and you know that their decisions are sound. And so you, you have latched on to the right people or to the right person at that time. And so Paul says, you've got you to gotta avoid the wrong people, but you've got to at the same time be latching on to somebody, latch on to the right people that are around you. And then thirdly, he says, stay close to the scriptures. You also have to stay close to the scriptures. Um, I don't know all of your backgrounds in terms of, of every everything that you've been through, but but when you came to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, or as you're beginning to, to grow in the Lord, um, you know, hopefully somebody sat down or, or you went through some kind of training to teach you how to study Scripture and, and those kinds of things. We, we try to do that for people here. But uh, I remember when I was even going into college, and I, I'd grown up in church, but I remember uh, a, a kind of a, a spiritual formations class in Bible college down at Cal. Baptist and, and one of the things they did was help us to learn how to just how to study the Bible. How do you know? How do you as you as you formulate this 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 
practice of studying God's word in your life, how do you do it? And, and one of the things that, that I remember that the professor said was that, um, that every time you come to God's word, every day when you come to God's word, you need to ask really two questions. What's God telling me? And, and maybe write that down. And then you also need to say, based on what God's telling me, then what am I supposed to do? What do I do with this based on what he's telling me? And then if you have to, write that down so that you know it, so that, so that you're aware of what he's doing. And, uh, and, and so those are the things that, that we need to do, they said, and it makes a lot of sense. And so, so I'm encouraging you to become a student of the Word of God, to spend time in your Bible every day, to let the words of Scripture influence the way you think and, and the way you believe and what you believe and how you behave. And, and, um, and, I, and I heard somebody once say that, 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 Christians, that for many Christians, the Bible is like the terms of agreement, um, service agreement that you get when you get any kind of new software for your computer. Most of us have computers in our homes now, and you know when you get a new computer or you get new software for it, you want to load it on there. What's the first thing that pops up? A terms of service agreement. And it says, agree or disagree down there. And then you look at what it is, and it's like screen after screen after screen after screen. Anybody ever read that? No. What do you do? You go down because you can't go any further in loading it until you mark agree. You look at it. Don't even pay attention. Go right down. Agree. You don't have a clue what you just agreed to, but you did that. A lot of Christians look at the Bible the same way. They say, Pastor, there's a lot of words here. There's a lot of stuff in here. You expect me to read this? You expect me to know what it says? I just found the word agree at the bottom and said, I agree. But you don't have a clue how it's going to help you. You don't know anything about it because you haven't spent any time in it. And that's wrong. That's a bogus way to live your Christian life, Paul would say. He says, you've got to do something about that. And so I want to I I say, I know a lot of Christians have never read the Bible, but I'm saying to you today, read it. Read it. You'll be amazed how much you can tell, that it'll tell you about how you live a meaningful life. And if you've never been much of a Bible reader, you're going to be amazed at how many misconceptions that you've had. About 40 years ago, and I'll just tell you a story and we close. A man by the name of Stephen Scott was, was sitting at home. He was depressed and he was discouraged. Uh, he, he, had, he, was, he had lost his job. Um, fact is, he not only had lost his job, he had a degree in marketing, but he lost his ninth job in six months. Can you imagine that? In a six-month period of time with a college degree, he lost nine jobs going through that. And he, he really saw no future. He lost all hope um, and really had even begun to, to contemplate suicide. But he asked a close friend for advice. Fortunately, he was, he was still trying to latch on to some right people. And, uh, and the name of the person, his friend's name, was Gary Chapman. It's the same Gary Chapman who would later write the five love languages and, and the five, you know, there's, he's, still, he's still busy writing even today. Um, at that time, he was an associate pastor at a Baptist church in, in North Carolina. And 40 years later, he is still an associate pastor at that same Baptist church in North Carolina. 
and doing his ministry of writing and, 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 and counseling and those kinds of things. And this was the advice that he gave his friend Stephen Scott when he came and, and asked him about the decisions that he might make right now if it was him. And he said this, he said to Stephen, he said, he said, Stephen, if you will start reading the Bible, uh, or start, excuse me, say it again, if you'll start reading a chapter of Proverbs from the Bible every day and start living your life and making your decisions based on what it says, he said, I can guarantee that in two years, you're going to be smarter than any boss you're ever going to have. And if you do it for five years, I'm willing to predict that you're going to become a millionaire. Well, Stephen Scott did take Gary Chapman's challenge at that point. And he began reading chapter of Proverbs every day and, and others as he started growing in the word. And he started living and learning those principles of the book of Proverbs. And, and he did become a financial success. Uh, but but his financial success is not the part of the story that impresses me the most because you know what there's a lot of guys who are rich out there that's not the that's not so much the issue that impresses me what impresses me about this story is that Stephen Scott says that the principles that he learned in reading God's word and just paying attention to what it was and saying how do I live this out in my life today helped him become not only successful in his work, but helped him keep his life together. They kept his marriage together. They kept his friendship strong and his priorities straight. And the lessons that he learned in Proverbs, as well as all the rest of the scriptures, kept him on the target of his entire life. That's the power of the word of God. That's why... Paul told Timothy, stay close to the Bible. That's why he said in these verses that we read at the beginning of our worship service, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, and correcting uh, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. He said, you're going to live under the influence of something and someone. So he said, avoid the wrong people in life, but latch on to the right people and then make sure that you're staying close to God's word. Because in life's journey, you're going to encounter many, of the, many, many voices attempting to gain a position of authority in your life, saying, I want you to live under my, my influence, and you're going to have to make some decisions. So you begin to watch carefully for those who are going to call you aside, who are going to train wreck your life. And you say, God, I'm going to avoid them, and I'm going to, and I'm going to latch on to people who are holy and who are righteous and whose lives are their story. And that's what I want, God, because I want to finish strong. I want my life to be my argument when it's all said and done. Let's pray together. Father, this morning, as we come to a close, we thank you that you are good, that you are gracious, and you are holy and just. Father, we thank you that you care about our lives, how we've chosen to live, the things that we choose to do. We care about the people that are in our lives. 
care about who has influence in our lives. So Father, let the main influence be your Savior, Jesus Christ, for the power of the Holy Spirit speaking your word into our lives. Father, there are people that we're going to have to deal with. Let us choose correctly. Let's choose those who are going to lead us into a lifestyle of righteousness and holiness, not into a lifestyle that Paul described in verses 1 to 4 of this chapter. There's no place for a Christian to live. There's no place comfortable for a Christian to be in any of this. Just to live in the holiness and righteousness of our sin. Thank you for those that you put in our lives. Family members, friends, members of our church, members of the greater Christian community, that, that we, we know them, we'll get to know them, and we see their lives, and we see them reflecting the glory of Jesus Christ. Thank you that we can do that. Help us to latch on to that. Thank you for your word that gives us hope, that gives us assurance. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Let's just sit.